Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast. I'm Justice Stout. I'm Michael Minkoff. Took you a second. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? I forgot. (laughs) Um, The topic for today's podcast is... Why the church should make more ugly art. Which is a strange one. (laughs) It's it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. But it's actually really important. It's... uh, and it's more important than you than uh, it sounds. So what's inherent in the question? What are, what are assumptions that we're making in the question? I think that the main assumption is that we're not right. making ugly art. So uh, I think one of the uh, a criticism that a lot of us have probably made to some degree in our mind is that um, Christian art is nice mm-hmm. or soft or pretty, always somewhat safe. pretty, safe, um, fluffy, feel good. Yes, all Fuzzy. of these things. Um, so these are things that are not ugly. These are the things that most Christian are. And we're speaking in generalities, absolutely. But uh, they're important generalities that you know, or generalizations that are, um, as generalizations, relevant. in my experience, very relevant and very true. Right. Um, and let's also say just right off the bat, we're not saying the church should stop making non-ugly art. <laughs> stop. Uh, <laughs> no pretty things from the church. We're talking about something additional, not replacing what we have been doing. Absolutely. There are definitely places for just beautiful pieces of exquisite and, and you know, pretty uh, art that makes you feel good and that encourages you and inspires you mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things. So we don't have a problem with that as such. However, we think that the value of that art is actually lessened by the absence of the other kind of art. So, let us start off with some uh, definitions. Yeah. So, let's talk about what do we mean when we say ugly art? Yeah, what do you mean by ugly? Okay, what I don't mean. Let's start there. (laughs) What I don't mean is... I'm going to answer that question with a question. Is bad art, okay? I don't mean bad. I don't think that the church needs to be making more bad art. I think most of our pretty art is actually bad. Um, Mm. So by that, I mean it's not well executed. It's not well composed. It's not well made. It's not well built. You can make an extremely well executed pretty thing. And, and you can make a very poor pretty po- thing. Exactly. You can make a very poorly executed So you're not thing. saying that the church needs to make bad art. No, not at all. That We don't need any more bad art. <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have plenty of that. Uh, but I do mean that we need to make more art that addresses the ugliness of the world in a way that is skilled, that is careful, that is honest, that is transparent, and that has all the earmarks of good art, mm-hmm. but discussing topics or, or content that isn't necessarily going to make you feel great. Right. Um, good, and, ugly art. Right. We need to be making good art that isn't necessarily pretty, that, that is unpleasant, possibly. Okay, all these kinds well, of things. Well, okay, we need and to we'll def- get into that. We got to define ugly, right? Is that... Yeah. So by that, I mean uh, art that is a well-crafted presentation of either the nature or consequences of sin. Okay? So yeah. so that's what I'm talking about. And, and one of the reasons I think it's so important is because without a clear, honest, very accurate presentation of what sin is and what sin does, the gospel is meaningless. Mm. Because salvation implies that you're being saved from something. 
But if you're not presenting what that from is, like mm-hmm. where are you being saved from? What are you being saved out of? Yeah. Uh, then the salvation message, the gospel message, isn't falls, really good news. And it falls flat. Yeah, yeah. it falls it's not partic- flat. It's not particularly redemptive if there's not a monster. Exactly. And uh, I think one of the things is a potential um, contention would be, oh, well, we, you know, Christian art or, um, you know, we we do include the idea of sin. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, we're, you're saved from your sins, and we, you know that's ugly. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, the issue is that it's not portrayed in its truly ugly form in a compelling and, way. Yeah, and and one of the ways that a lot of Christian art does this is by um, using metaphors. Um, worship music does this all the time. So instead of dealing with a really nasty sin. Uh, the, the kind of way that David the psalmist deals with his nasty sins in the psalms where he uses very strong language. Right. Um, or the prophets would be even uh, Even better. worse. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get to that. Right. Um, the uh, common tool today is uh, you got something nasty in your life? Chains. Yeah, chains or darkness. Darkness. Um, darkness is a good one because it, it paints, it has an impression right. of sin or a nod at ugliness. But it's usually but euphemistic. It's very euphemistic. And it, uh, first of all, it's not very specific, obviously. I mean, that's what we're saying. But in its lack of specificity, it lacks, well, what we're talking about today. Right. Ugliness. ugliness. The ugliness of the reality and when of sin. Because sin is ugly. Ugly. So when we're talking about this ugliness, we're talking specifically about sin and the, the, the nature and consequences of sin. And here's the thing. This is particularly for unbelievers. This is helpful for unbelievers uh, for one reason, but it's also helpful for believers. So let's talk about unbelievers first. Um, so when you hear the salvation message, when you hear the gospel message as an unbeliever, what you want to know is that this person has lived life seen it for what it is, and that his hope is not based on a fantasy. It, and it's a matter of um, credibility. Right. It's because you wouldn't want to trust a madman's message. No. Uh, or even just a, uh, a, a naive person's, yeah. or a liar. Yeah. A liar. Yeah, that's what you're thinking, is that this is all a lie. Even this if is... you don't know that it's a lie, I don't think that's part of the big problem, is yeah. I don't trust you even if I think you're speaking what you think is true, but you don't sound reliable because it doesn't sound like you understand reality. Right. Have you gone through pain? Yeah. Have you suffered? Yeah, Have exactly. you Have you suffered like I've suffered? Because if you've suffered like I've suffered, if you've seen the world the way I had seen the world, you wouldn't believe in your rosy-colored Christianity. Right. Right? So I've even had this, this personal experience uh, with unbelievers, some of whom grew up in the church and were, were really disillusioned with the gospel because of the fact of, of what they saw in the church. They saw people who were sort of pasting over sin, just sort of skating over it. Like, it wasn't real a big deal. Like, I, I okay, so I had this, uh, I had this blog. <laughs> I wrote a blog. And, uh, <laughs> surprise, so funny surprise. About that. <laughs> surprise, surprise, I wrote, I wrote a blog. A blo- <laughs> I, and uh, there was, a, there was this, this lady who interacted with me in the comments in a couple of different articles who was an atheist, and she had grown up in the church. And she said the thing that sort of turned her away from the church was that uh, she had been sexually abused, and when she and she had been sexually abused by a pastor, oh man! And um, 
when she came into church and she heard these people talking about the things they were being saved from or the things that they were troubling them, right? the only things they were really willing to mention were, you know, I'm... Pride. Yeah, oh, pride. <laughs> these very vague things, but, but one of the things she said was that there were all these girls talking about how hard it was to live as a single woman. And that, that, that can be hard. I'm not saying that it isn't hard, and we should talk about that in, in, in specific ways. But she was saying that didn't really relate to her life experience. And so, so, you know, she's been raped by a pastor, mm -hmm. and here the, the worst thing that could possibly happen to the people that, that are trying to relate to her and relate the gospel to her is that, oh, you know, you might have a hard time, you know, finding a good man. Which just isn't true. <laughs> well, that's not the hardest thing. Yeah. Yeah. For anybody. Right. It's not the hardest I mean, thing. And I'm not saying it's not, you know, hard, hard being single and, yeah. you know, that's fine if that's your biggest struggle, I guess. But, like, we're bad people. Yeah. We are messed up people. And the world is a really ugly world a lot of times. And it takes an incredible savior to save the kind of sin that we deal with. And if, uh, yeah. If, and your faith I, is I believable it. if, it's, if, it, if it is there even in the face of that. Mm -hmm. See, and that, that's what it really boils down to is let me present sin in, so, in such clear terms that you understand when I talk about believing and hoping in the Lord, that that's not a fantasy because I know what you're going through as well, right? Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody has gone through that. Not everybody has been uh, raped, raped by, by the pastor. pastor. Um, but the reality is that if you tell that story Mm -hmm. and you're willing to just go there, then that woman or, or that man who has gone through those experiences is a whole lot more likely to listen yeah. to what you have to say after. Or, or even um, the people who, you know, uh, are dealing with sin that might, you know, things that they're dealing with, maybe not to that degree of like, oh, got raped by a pastor. But if you are, are fully open to the... Uh, to honesty about the ugliness of sin in your own experience or just the ugliness of, of you know, sin in life, mm -hmm. you know, fallen world, and it's really ugly, then uh, you'll open it up to people, not necessarily who also got raped by pastors, but just people, everybody, anybody can relate. Um, I don't know. People are, are not willing. It's easier to open up about sins when something even uglier has been talked about talked about <laughs> yeah, you know right. what i mean like if you're gonna go there then it's it's gonna really open things up right and and this is what the scriptures do and so there's obviously there's a fine balance that has to be taken here because people would say oof well you open the door for that are, are we talking about nudity and cursing and explicit gore and all these other things now i'm not necessarily saying that's what's necessary there is a place, I think, for the idea of obscenity. Now, obscenity literally means off-scene. So obscenity came from this stage practice uh, that was you know, established among the Greeks where if you had a murder or a rape or anything like that, you would have it happen off-stage. So mm -hmm. it was off-scene. Off-scene. Off yeah. Um, and, and that way you could, you could still have it. You could still be talking about it. You could still present it in some ways. It was implied. It was, it was a, a method of indirection in order to present these things as they really were without necessarily going, you know, into explicit detail. Right. Oftentimes the explicitness, that's the other thing we're not saying. Oftentimes the explicitness of sin 
actually diminishes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it diminishes the horror of it. It diminishes the power of it. Um, it's like a horror movie. I remember the first time I watched The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was I had not seen it because I, I said I didn't like horror movies, and somebody was like, "Oh, you should totally see this movie. It's a, it's a good movie." Yeah. Um, and so I watched it when I was probably like twenty years old, mm -hmm. and I remember the the most terrifying parts of that movie were at the beginning. Right. When when the darkness of this demonic presence was implied under the surface, unseen. hidden, unseen, yeah. and you knew it was there, and it was being presented in a real way, but but you you didn't necessarily see the face of the monster itself. Supposedly, this was um, a big leap in film when Jaws came out because here's a little uh, cultural factoid. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you already know. Yeah. Uh, Steven Spielberg was having an incredible amount of difficulty technical. with... Technical. Yeah, technical difficulty with their mechanical shark. Right. He wanted to show the shark yeah. a lot more than he did in the movies, but because of their technical difficulty, it just wasn't working out on, on the screen. And so he ended up, out of necessity, only showing tiny, tiny bits of this monster. Yeah, very fast, and not even showing much of the shark until the very, very end, which, honestly, is... Um, the weakest part of the film. It is! <laughs> yeah. You finally see the shark, and you're like, oh, that, that's not, not that how scary. sharks bite. It's not that scary <laughs> when we see it. But, um, but yeah, exactly. You're most afraid of what you don't see or quite know yet. or Where you haven't fully defined it. Yeah. You haven't fully bounded it or defined it. And so that's kind of the terms I'm talking about, this ugliness, and that's actually what the scriptures do. They don't shy away from talking about real, uh, sometimes pretty explicit wickedness. Sometimes it is explicit. They're, they're yeah. far more explicit than we are, Typically generally. Typically willing to go. Yeah. So, so why don't you... Okay, so so we're talking about ugly art. We should be making it. One of the one of the you know points on our side is we think that the Bible has a, a lot of ugly oh, art. Right. So give us some examples. Okay, so when you're talking about the prophets... Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, you just go to the prophets. Honestly, like go to the prophets. Read through Ezekiel, and um, tell me if you would be willing to read a lot of that stuff to your children. Yeah, or to and, your church, or to your church. Yeah. Um. It. it you know. It. I don't even. It's like some of the things I don't even want to say. We're right. We're not going to say it on. It's, you know too, I mean? it's too ugly. Scandalous. <laughs> scandalous. Uh, but you know, he talks about how they, you know, longed for their paramours who tweaked their nipples, whose penises were as large as the penises of horses, and whose issue was the issue of donkeys. I mean, that's that's. We gross. can actually, and I'm not even joking about this. We should bleep all of those <laughs> words. And it's just, I'm being serious. It's, yeah. But well, what's a, do you know the passage there? Uh, I'd have to look up the exact the exact uh, reference, and yeah. I will, and maybe we can put it in a comment. We'll put it. We'll put it in the uh, in the notes for the podcast. There's, but it's it's we'll, certainly we'll it. there. I promise you, I would not be making this up. Uh, <laughs> the, the, then you've got and then you've got things that are not necessarily as explicit, uh, like the prophet Jeremiah devoting an entire book to mourning in mm -hmm. Lamentations. And Lamentations, I, I mean, you should read through Lamentations. It's a beautifully crafted book. And actually, one of the one of the real beauties of it is how well crafted it is. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know this, but it, it uh, the whole thing, except for at the end where this all falls apart mm -hmm. in complete mourning, is structured as an acrostic. So each each uh, two verse couplet 
is is you know the the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet oh, and right, the second right, right. letter of the Hebrew alphabet right. that begins each of those two line couplets. So it's very well structured. It's very carefully crafted, but it feels like this unburdening of a person's heart concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, which obviously uh, Jeremiah had experienced firsthand. So would you say a uh, mourning is ugly? Then I guess it is kind of. Well, I mean, it's not pretty. It's I not guess. pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, not pleasant. It's yeah. not pleasant at all. And I think that's one of the elements here is that if if your if your idea of Christian art or your idea of the arts within the church is that it has to be pretty or that it has to feel good or be inspiring or be be constructive, right? They might say something like mm-hmm. that. Um, well, then a book like Lamentations sort of just loses. It fucks that, yeah. Yeah, it just kind of doesn't get talked about. Your songs don't end up, you, you don't use the laments from the Psalms or you don't use the book of Lamentations where, right. you know, and, and you lose this power of mourning, of real mourning. That's, that's, that is, it is canonized in the scriptures. I mean, we actually have these books that so are So they're devoted. probably important. Yeah, so probably important. <laughs> right, and then you've got, obviously, the story of Job, which people, I think, skate over far too often without actually thinking about the unanswered questions and what it would be like to be in Job's shoes and never really have God tell you why. Because yeah. God doesn't in that book. And that's difficult. That's mm-hmm. really difficult. This this unsettled, unresolved. Because here's the thing about art. Um, most of the time, pretty art is resolved art. It, 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 it's a major chord. Yeah, chord. it's a, a major it's chord. It resolves. It's, it, it, it ends and, and you feel okay about the whole thing. A lot of the art in the scriptures isn't resolved. And, and you have a couple of psalms. Um, you know, there... I think it's like Psalm 98, which ends with the word darkness, says all my friends are darkness. Right. And it, that's it. That's the end of the psalm. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, it doesn't go anywhere beyond there. There's no call to hope. There's no progression towards a resolution of any kind. Mm-hmm. It just sits there right in the midst of that painful experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, Job is definitely a good Well, there are even um, there are lots of examples of the Bible using poop. You know, I wish I could, you know, maybe I should use a stronger word here on the podcast for this, but where the Bible is like, uh, let's, (laughs) the only way I can communicate this is to bring crap into the situation. So like you have in Malachi, um, God is, uh, criticizing the priests for allowing, um, um, sacrificial, you know, lambs, different animals for sacrifices come in that were blemished, which right. is a no-no, you know, right. blind lambs and, mm. and all of, crippled. you know, things. Yeah, crippled. And uh, God is not happy, <laughs> not happy with this kind of worship. And so one of the things he uses to describe it, he, he, he says, I wish, speaking to the priests, I wish I could just take your face and rub it in crap. Mm-hmm. And then you know how I feel. Right. Because this is how insulting it is to me. And that's very Unpleasant. ugly. That is <laughs> ugly. ugly. Not to mention um, Ezekiel. I mean, well, you already brought up Ezekiel, but I mean, he had to make Ezekiel bread. You know, he didn't do this because, you know, this isn't funny necessarily. Like, well, this yeah. isn't only. And I know that the brand doesn't do this, but he did have to cook it over dung. He actually right. had to. And, and God said originally, you have to do it over human dung. That you have to cook it with human feces, mm-hmm. and uh, oof, that that would be terrible, disgusting. Okay, yeah. but it, the, the it is art too. That's the thing is that actually is performance because art. you're the whole people are watching. Right, people are watching Ezekiel. They watch him make the bread. They watch him cook it over this unbelievably repugnant smelling fire. That you know the crust of that bread. Yeah. Crust is an important element of bread. (laughs) This crust, not so good. And 
It's revolting. Right. And that revulsion is important. It's very important. Right. So then, you, you, obviously, the stories in the Bible, God never backs away from telling it like it is. He paints the, the, the portraits of the patriarchs, even, warts and all. Okay. So, absolutely. So, yeah. we have examples in Scripture that we've named, you know, we've named a lot of them, and there, there are more. If you want to find them, read your Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're there. Right. Uh, so, they're in the Bible. Uh, does that necessarily mean that um, we should be doing it? Uh, yeah, see, this is a question that comes up. It's yeah. like, okay, so God did it. God knows the boundary line. You don't. You don't. Yeah. Right, you don't. Okay, here's the thing, though. The prophets themselves only knew the boundary line because the Holy Spirit was guiding them into what was profitable and necessary for the people. And this is what usually comes up is to say, let no unwholesome word or no unwholesome communication proceed from your mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's not the whole verse. The rest of the verse says, accept a word which is uh, edifying to the hearer and appropriate to the time, to the context. So you're saying ugly can be edifying. Yes, ugly can be. If it weren't, then God wouldn't have done it. That's what I'm saying. And so, um, so in in this, so to say, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's not the whole story. It, you have to think. All right, there's got to be a context. Okay. Obviously, if I'm in front of a bunch of little kids, you know, I have five, and we do read through the Bible, and. I don't necessarily explain in great detail all the things. Or even read certain passages, probably. I, I do. I read them See, anyway. See, we might differ here. Like, I think in some way, like Song of Solomon. I don't know if I'm going to read Song of Solomon to, like, my 8-year-old. Yeah. Or my 13-year-old. I don't know. In some senses, uh, well, there is uh, a, a level of maturity that... Um, might need to be accompanied with, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. No, you, you might be right. There's certainly context. If nothing else, there's context. Yeah, there is context. And so if I'm talking to children, I'm not necessarily going to explicitly say, this is what that means. If it's, you, I mean, you read the story of Lot and his daughters get him drunk, you know, on two consecutive I mean, yeah, nights. And, yeah. and it's like, it's like. It's going to be hard to even make any progress in right. the Old Testament. Yeah, that's what I'm without saying. Without hitting really really rough some difficult things passages. i mean like the flood is a terrifying horrifying thing yeah um yeah, and, and, and and you know they're sitting here they're going okay so you're telling me that god wiped out everyone he killed everyone he drowned everyone mm -hmm. he destroyed the earth he killed all those other animals like the bunnies too you know like every all the cute ones as well like yeah. he, he just like he just destroyed the whole thing that's that's that is not pleasant. It doesn't matter how you paint it. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. how you say it. Like, you're going to get to passages in the Scripture, pretty much all of the Old Testament. And I, I, we read through the Bible every year, and when I get to the New Testament, it really is a breath of fresh air. It really is. Because <laughs> finally you get to Jesus, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I know there's not going to be a passage where it says, and then Jesus fell. You know, like, yeah, then, yeah, then yeah. Jesus was looking off the roof of his house, right. and he saw a pretty, well, oh, no, no, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah. don't do it. You know, like, they're never going to get to that kind of a passage, and it really is a lovely, wonderful thing to be able to see the beauty of Jesus in the context of all that ugliness, right? And that's what we're saying, though. And that is kind of the whole, so, so we definitely have, yeah, what, or one of the things is there's a context, there's a place for ugliness, and we just, talk, yeah, uh, the well, Old Testament definitely it. sets up the context for Jesus. So what is, um, 
the use, the proper use of ugliness in art? Well, I mean, I think honestly, it has to be in my in. Um, it has to be for the purpose of showing how ugly sin actually is. Mm -hmm. So it does have to be again related to sin, but uh, when you when you have ugliness in art, there's a difference between displaying it in order to glory in it, which is a lot of ugly art that's made by the world does this. Unbelievers, when they have nudity mm -hmm. or, you know, or when they have curse words or when they have violence, there's a sense in which they want you to lust after it. They want right. you to desire it and to long for it. And they're, they're, they're utilizing it in order to make money or sell or whatever. Yeah. Um, but when, when Christian artists, when artists who are Christians uh, make these kinds of works, Obviously, our point would never be, and it should never be, and we have to be very conscious of, is this going to lead somebody astray? Is mm -hmm. talking about this or delving into this, you know, I, I, maybe you have to discuss pornography. Maybe, you know, you don't want to discuss pornography in such a way that it would actually tempt somebody into lust. Right. And so how do you discuss it in a real way without... Uh, being it, without it being a temptation or, or, or problematic in those terms. So maybe let's let's talk about these two different things. First of all, uh, let's get to the practical last. I guess yeah. the first thing I want to say is what is the value? And uh, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, I'm, I'm yeah. a hard Flannery O'Connor kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so read, this read is that. a great. This is a short one, um, and uh, this is in the chapter the grotesque. In Southern fiction, which obviously by the title of the chapter, she she, she com commits a lot of words to this subject, so I encourage you to read it. But here's a short blurb that is a good takeaway. Whenever I'm asked why Southern writers particularly have a penchant for writing about freaks, I say it is because we are still able to recognize one. To be able to recognize a freak, you have to have some conception of the whole man. And in the South... The general conception of man is still, in the main, theological. That is a large statement, and it is dangerous to make it, for almost anything you say about Southern belief can be denied in the next breath with equal <laughs> propriety. But approaching the subject from the standpoint of the writer, I think it is safe to say that while the South is hardly Christ-centered, it is most certainly Christ-haunted. Which is a famous quote from, from O'Connor, and I guess the context of that quote is not usually talked about, which is, this idea that because of its Christ-hauntedness, those those uh, environments or those places that have been sort of inundated in, in Christian or biblical ideas mm -hmm. do have an idea of what ugliness actually is, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's, it, it behooves us, actually. It, it, we should, by necessity, definitely tell people what, what ugly, ugly is. is. Yeah. And um, and the only, you know, you can tell them, but showing them is more effective. Yeah. You know, showing people what ugliness, and, and again, this goes back to the scriptures. That's what God did. He said, do you want to see what ugly is? I'll show it to you. These are the consequences and the nature of sin. So the, and this is how it works out. And this is ugly, isn't it? Isn't it ugly? Isn't it gross? Mm -hmm. Isn't it disgusting and repulsive to you? And in that, there, there, is, there is edification. But also, so let's, let's talk about another use, though. Okay, so obviously, there is, it is useful to explore the ugliness of sin, if for no other reason to actually show what is ugly, yeah. right? That sin is ugly. Yeah. But the other part of it is, I think, 
that when you're talking about ugliness and you're talking about grotesqueness, you're talking about whatever, um, you're also dealing, you're, you're showing compassion mm-hmm. for the place where people actually are. So because sometimes you're not saying, you know, that the sin in you is ugly necessarily. Sometimes you're saying we know what the world is like. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to mourn, we're willing to mourn with you. Mm-hmm. If you're weeping, we're willing to come alongside you and weep with you. Yeah. We're not just going to go to you and say, you know what? Just set that set that ugliness aside. Set that unpleasantness aside. Set that pain aside. Set that suffering aside. No, we're willing to suffer with you. Yeah. We're willing to weep with you. And I think one of the things the church has not realized about our you know, uh, expurgation of ugliness out of our art is that we are losing an opportunity to empathize and and with the unbeliever and show compassion to people who are suffering, even believers who are suffering. I mean, I've talked yeah. to lots of Christians Absolutely. who have gone through really difficult circumstances and found no comfort in the church. And how many? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How many times do you? Uh, I, well, I know the case, it's been true for me. Um, showing up at church, feeling like a real rat, mm-hmm. like a really bad guy well because i am you know and some you know mm-hmm. uh, the lord <laughs> you know there's sin sin is ugly and sometimes you really <laughs> know it yeah. and you show up and it's like i gotta be the only one mm-hmm. i gotta be the only one i went to a christian college um brian college and we had chapel three times a week and man talk about showing up and feeling like a disconnect dude I'm here to like commune with God and like repent and worship and um, we're just gonna act, we're all gonna act happy again for the third time this week and for the, you know, 32nd time this year. And um, not to say that happy praise or worship is not a good thing, but man, sometimes, you know, that that really fails to encompass all of the human experience. experience. And whenever you only focus on the good or the happy, um, it's not a, it's not inviting, um, and it frankly looks naive. Um, well, Which, because and in some ways, it, it's either naive or it's just uh, dishonest. Right. Yeah. Straight up dishonest. Which is really interesting because it seems counterintuitive. It seems like the, that the world or unbelievers or even suffering Christians would rather go to a place that is happy. Mm-hmm. But that's not what God says. Mm-hmm. He says, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those, mourn with those who mourn. So, so really what's interesting is this counterintuitive aspect that creating real ugly art can become an extreme invitation to suffering believers and unbelievers, right? where they say, these are people who understand what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. These are people who can comfort me because their hope is not an illusion. So one of the benefits of Christian artists making art that portrays ugliness of some kind is an invitation to mourn uh, either with Christians or with people who aren't Christians, an invitation to mutually mourn at the state of things, mm-hmm. quite yeah. simply. Right. And um, and if we're not willing to do that, then we we definitely are missing an invitation, um, or the, missing an, an extension. You know, our own invitation to um, uh, to invite people into this 
state of mourning and um, recognizing the ravages that sin has had and on not just skating over it either. Earth. Yeah, you know, like there are plenty of passages in the scriptures that don't just skate over it. Yeah, they don't even necessarily resolve ever. Yeah, and so it's important, I think, within the Christian arts that I mean, I I would say one of the major problems with most Christian art is actually the issue of premature resolution. Like you got to the answer too quickly. You didn't actually work through all the issues that needed to be worked through in order for the answer or the solution to be satisfying. Right. And sometimes the answer and solution is not even appropriate. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, that's not the time. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I definitely yeah. feel that with uh, Facing the Giants. I know we're bringing up the Kendrick <laughs> Brothers two times in a row. I, my favorite movie of theirs was actually uh, their first one. And I know you said that their production well, value got better. And their production value did get better. But my favorite, and I haven't watched it in a while, so I yeah. might think differently now. But uh, I really liked might Flywheel. Your words. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Flywheel. But uh, I, think, I think a great example of this is um, Facing the Giants. Um, you have a guy who um, he and his wife can't get pregnant. And um, job situation, job situation is not great. You know his football team isn't winning, and um, his car is breaking down. Yeah, and then like he has a moment of prayer and belief, belief, and everything turns. And then boom, wife gets pregnant. They win the state championship (laughs) and gets a new truck from Ford. Thanks Ford. (laughs) And it's listen. There's nothing inherently wrong. In that kind of story, necessarily, it's like Job with 90% of the middle cut out. Mm-hmm. It's like, and the beginning, actually. Yeah. It's like Job with, like, the last, it's it's like the last half chapter of Job is the story of facing the giants without the whole, like, ravaging of his life in the first place and the and his existential, existential dilemma like, throughout ugh. chapters and chapters and chapters dialogue. of the middle mm-hmm. and dialogue with the Lord and his friends and terrible. It's like, well, let's stick with the last half chapter of Job and that yeah. is cheap. Right. It is cheap. It feels cheap. It and feels I think people, cheap. I think... And I think, even, the, even the circumstantial resolution of Job is not the crucial idea there because the, the, the problem with the book of Job mm-hmm. Is that you aren't you aren't given answers for his suffering, mm-hmm. and it never gives you answers. It never gives him answers for the suffering anyway. Yeah. It kind of gives you it some answers as a reader, but still the answer is God had a bet with Satan, which you know basically, yeah, which, yeah, which yeah. is not necessarily the most satisfying of solutions <laughs> to your suffering. You know what I mean? It's like oh, that's why, that's why I went through I, hell. I'm glad I didn't know right. actually. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. right. Uh, so. So yeah, I think in those terms, you're you're exactly right. And again, I, I don't want to bash on those guys either because I think they're trying to do what they can. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of movies that do deal with the ugliness and the difficulty. And I think actually deal with it in a way that is pretty discreet. Yeah. Um, Scorsese, who is not known for his discreetness. In fact, the movie right before the one I'm about to say uh, was Wolf of Wall Street, which I think made a record it was for, for f bombs. Yeah, yeah f bombs, like the most number of f bombs of any movie. Yeah, like, it has like 400 or something f bombs. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. absurd. I didn't even watch it. Like I just, mm-hmm. I was like, I, there's no way I can there's see no, this movie. Yeah, there's no there's redeeming no value. And the next major thing he worked on after that was Silence, 
which was a movie about Portuguese missionaries who go to Japan in order to, you know, preach the gospel, and they're just persecuted. And, mm-hmm. and that's like the movie, is just them being persecuted into apostasy and crushed and annihilated. And that's the movie. And it's based on historical reality. It actually happened. God wrote that into his story. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and it just explores this idea of how do you have faith in a God who is silent during your suffering? Because right. sometimes he doesn't answer you when you call. Mm-hmm. And um, that's an important question to explore. And it's a hard one. And it's it's not a diff- pretty. No, it's not. It's not a pretty movie, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. No, uh, that movie is difficult. It's, yeah. I, it's not one of those movies that I'm like, I want to watch this every weekend. Mm-hmm. I do not. I, I, I've seen I watch, it. Yeah, I watch it with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I may, but it's not one that I'll watch anytime soon because... It was really harrowing. Yes. It like splits you open. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Absolutely. There are, uh, I'd be interested to see if you can come up with any other examples of like good heart, you know, good ugly art or um, bad pretty art. I know there are two examples real quick that yeah. I really like of ugly art that I think were really effective. Um, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, uh, mainly I'm referring to one scene. There is the stabbing scene where Noah approaches the, um, uh, what's his name? Lucius. Noah uh, is a mentally um, handicapped um, member of a very small uh, village set. Like a separatist village. Yes, exactly. They've removed themselves from society. It's a, uh, it starts with EU, what's that? Uh, Oh, Utopia. Mm -hmm. A a little tiny separatist utopian colony. There's no E. But you could call it a really? utopia if you're saying it's like a... a oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. For some reason, the EU prefix, I thought, would be... Like good, but no, That would be good place. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> utopia. But, but utopia it's... means no place. Ah! <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay, good to know. Um, either way, so uh, Noah, the um, mentally handicapped antagonist, basically is jealous of Lucius's... Um, attention that he's receiving from a woman that they're mutually in love with. Uh, Noah knocks on his door, Lucius opens it, and the shots don't even show uh, the stabbing. Lucius, uh, Noah stabs Lucius, and you don't even see it happen. You just see Lucius's face and Noah's face, Mm -hmm. and then Lucius's face face again, and then the camera pans down, and you see a knife handle. Mm And then he collapses on the floor, and now you see the handle sticking up out of him, and Noah approaches him, pulls the knife out, contemplates what he should do now, and as the camera pans away, you don't even see anything, but you hear a thud of another knife stab, you're assuming, going back to Mm -hmm. obscene art, and you see the twitch of Lucius's arm. You don't see any of the stabbings, and it is literally one of the most violent things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And it tears me up. Mm-hmm. It is like, man, you can watch Kill Bill, and there are gallons of blood. Yeah, and it's almost Monty Python. It does it. No, it really is. It's just <laughs> squirting so everywhere. Yeah. And you have this, oh, you hate yeah. violence in that moment right. so much. You hate violence. Right. And it's just a stat. You know, it's just so... so fantastically well executed on on that cruise part and um 
very ugly, very heart-wrenching, but it really portrays violence, not in a comic or flippant way, but in a way that really makes you hate that stab, which I think is really useful. Um, another one is the movie Unfaithful, which I don't really suggest Recommend. watching. There is a lot of, uh, well, content that I wish was obscene, was <laughs> off screen. Uh, I think that they include a little too much in that movie. But the whole idea, it, it's a story about a woman who cheats on her husband. But what they accomplish in this movie by the end of it is that you, um, and I won't get, basically, now nah, there's too many details, but basically by the end of the movie, the affair has happened and the woman and her husband are left in this miserable situation. Absolutely miserable. And it's so easy. Hollywood does it all the time. They paint affairs to be these like glorious, glorious sometimes even marriage saving. Yeah, 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 yeah. In some weird, twisted way, and uh, yeah, some sort of sexual liberation, and it yeah. actually helped me, you know, in our marriage. And it's like, no, I discovered guess what? myself. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that's how that works. Right. You know what I mean? And and um. As a Christian, I think realistically that's not what's going to happen. You know, I think right. realistically. It's not just because I, I, as a Christian, I don't have high ideals that don't, you know, have true standing on the earth. I actually think that God's truth is the truth of reality. And I think that a sin like adultery it's gonna have those is going to have terrible consequences. Mm-hmm. And... Um, like in reality. Right. And if you portray it realistically, if you make a movie and there's adultery like this and you portray it realistically, uh, you're going to finish it being miserable. very miserable. Right. And what's interesting is that non-Christians are willing to paint those ugly pictures. And sometimes they try to tack on some kind of a hope at the end. Badly. Not, not, not an unfaithful. But not an unfaithful. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Is a lot of times they don't. Yeah, because a lot of times the most honest of them understand we don't actually have the solution, but we can see the problem clearly. Yeah, and maybe they don't even believe there is a solution. Mm-hmm. But for Christians, what we want to do, we, we like want to race through the problem to get to the solution. But the reality is that we have to be just as dead-eyed as an unbeliever would be about the reality of sin and suffering and pain and trouble. We have to be absolutely just look it straight in the eye, recognize it for exactly what it is, paint it in in pictures that are true, yeah. that will that will explore it as much as is necessary to edify the, the the viewer, and then possibly if it's the right context, we will have sort of earned the right yeah. to present. Hey, you know what though? I still have hope. And let me give you, I can give you a defense of the hope that I have Mm -hmm. because I have already proven to you that I know what the problem is. Yeah. Or even if if it's not the situation where you do that, uh, it's hopeful to show it. To, to see someone know how gross it is. Like, yeah. like the whole knife stab. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Someone in Hollywood, in this case M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Recognize. God rest his soul. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He, he did kind of jump the shark. He, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he'll come back. I don't know, man. The happening. That was, that was pretty... Well, even worse was the last last airbender. That was bad. But anyway, the point is to see someone show violence and get it is hopeful Mm -hmm. because it means, ah, 
you know, you know that you is ugly. It. You yeah. get it. Yeah. And there is. You're right at the precipice. Right. You're right at the precipice. And that's the thing is, we think that putting someone through these doubts, these doubts, these doubt-inducing things is going to push them away from faith. And again, it's this counterintuitive thing. If you put them through those doubts and they get to the end of those doubts and they say, I have no hope in myself. There is no hope in this world. <laughs> Everything is bad and falling apart. Yep. That's the point they have to be at mm -hmm. in order to receive God and the and the gospel. That that like that's where we all have been, mm -hmm. right? We got to the end of what we could do. Which is the weakness of nice art. And again, we're not yeah. saying that there's no place for nice art, right. but rarely is nice art uh, going to bring you to a point, as Flannery O'Connor would say it, of grace. Right. That that the window need, the, the of, need, grace. Exactly. of grace. Exactly. Exactly. Where yeah. you could actually be in a place to receive it. That's what the window is. Right. So some more ugly art. If we're going to talk about other examples of ugly art, you gave two. You uh, can only give one because we're... Are we on the edge here? On okay. the, we're on the, we're we're the on moment the of grace. We're on the precipice. Uh, <laughs> we have exceeded the grace of our listeners. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll give you one then. I actually did already give one, Silence. I think Silence yeah, there is you really go. good. So um, but also, I would say, obviously, Flannery O'Connor. Like, look at Flannery O'Connor's yeah, work. That's obviously. Like, obviously. I mean, a good man is hard to find. Yeah, big time. Um, and also, uh, there are other authors, Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky, I think, did a great job in Brothers Karamazov and in The Idiot of, of painting the world for what it really is like and mm -hmm. still showing the, the, the legitimacy mm -hmm. of hope. Like, seriously, even in the yeah. face of that, legitimacy of hope. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think those are good. All right, uh, what else do we have? I mean, that's... I mean, yeah, I think for the most part we covered it. Do we have any, uh, do we have any, any questions? questions, Rusty? We got no. no questions. Oh come on! Apparently That's this. So sad. Uh, then I'm gonna I'm gonna end us out on another uh, Flannery O'Connor quote, I just because that's the thing. Hacksaw theme. Ridge as a, you know. I didn't see it. Was Hacksaw Ridge though? It did I think indulge Bell Gibson's sort of love of violence maybe too much, but you could say it's warranted in a war movie. Yeah, because when that. I walked out of that theater, I just thought you hated you know, war, like that. If it weren't so violent or in gory, yeah. I don't know that his heroicism would have been received quite so much. Right. I might have true. believed I could have done such right. a thing. Right. And, and it is important to say, I think a future um, podcast actually that we've been talking about is the discernment that is necessary to draw the line somewhere right. as far as like, oh... You gotta make it ugly in yeah. order for so there, there's definitely a the Bible actually does use euphemism. It yeah, has euphemisms yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Bible. So there, like, there's con there's contextual cues, like, and there are certainly times um, when you don't have to be ugly, and also there are limits to, uh, in some senses, the ugliness that you consume. And and you mentioned this as far as like the point of the ugliness, mm -hmm. but there is a uh, I think it's actually very important for Christians to self censor mm -hmm. uh, the kind of content that they let into their hearts and minds. Um, this is something that statistically, generate generationally, we as younger people, like millennials and younger, do not self-censor the content that they put in their heads um, as much as our parents' generation. Um, well, and part of the reason for that is we don't want these absolute rules that apply to everyone. And I think it is a 
a um, reaction to a legalistic sense of like no cursing mm-hmm. or like no uh, alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like there are, it, it's a very common thing now for uh, Christians to have, you know, especially like uh, with the a resurgence of like neo-Calvinism to mm-hmm. have, you know, beers and, and everything like this, which is totally fine. Uh, I think it is in a lot of ways a reaction There's against a legalism, but there is a limit. And I think it is important uh, for us to self-censor when it comes to the content that Let's we let in. Let's talk about this on a future episode. We are going to talk about it yeah. later. I do. We're going to end it up on another Flannery O'Connor quote. I like it. I once received a letter from an old lady in California who informed me that when the tired reader comes home at night, he wishes to read something that will lift up his heart. And it seems her heart had not been lifted up by anything of mine that she had read. I think that if her heart had been in the right place, it would have been lifted up. You may say that the serious writer doesn't have to bother about the tired reader, but he does because they are all tired. One old lady who wants her heart lifted up wouldn't be so bad, but you multiply her 250,000 times and what you get is a book club. (laughs) I used to think it should be possible to write for some supposed elite, for the people who attend universities and sometimes know how to read. But I have since found that though you may publish your stories, and and she mentions a um, uh, a publishing here that I don't even want to try to pronounce. If they are any good at all, you are eventually going to get a letter from some old lady in California or some inmate of the federal penitentiary or the state insane asylum or the local poorhouse telling you where you have failed to meet his needs. Which is, and his need, of course, is to be lifted up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, All right. thanks for joining us. That's great. We, uh, I, I also, I wrote an article on this as well. It's called Why the Church Needs More Ugly Art. And it goes into some more uh, depth on some of these issues and explains a little bit of our approach uh, at, at Renew the Arts for how we, how we support and why we support people who don't necessarily make the prettiest of art. Yeah, and actually in the article you wrote, I know you mentioned um, the album, the music album that we sponsored, Attic Static Sticker Star, right. which is on our, uh, if you go to the website, renewthearts.org, go to Projects, and uh, it's it's there. It's a music album, and it's kind of a, a grunge, yeah. like a early 90s style grunge rock album, and uh, particularly one of the songs is really grisly. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you anymore. You should go check it out. Yeah. But we hope it lifts you up. We hope it lifts <laughs> you up. Thanks for joining. He was blowing dust on the rest of us. The day the season came without hope for rain. I was stuck in the car with no one to talk to, to talk to. It was getting real hard for me to see through To see through your impossible code And your maps and legends keeping your cards so close From your very friends So won't you walk, walk with me to the baseball diamond Pushing a thought to the back of my mind So won't you escort the girl to the baseball diamond You can tell her some bullshit childhood stories
of how your sensitive nature made you a saint. So she'll lift up her shirt without making complaint. Cause that's all you're after in the end when you walk, walk with me to the baseball diamond. Walk with me to the baseball diamond. 